0: I would like to talk a little bit about what we might call contemplative understanding, and uh, maybe to be continued on Wednesday, maybe on Friday, trying to emphasize and uh, explain, at least according to my understanding, um, what uh, seems to me it's uh, important to know and to practice in this discipline. And uh, the first step, the first uh, dimension to be explored and reflected upon together is what is called Samadhi. Samadhi means... Uh, recollection, recollected. A mind which is Samahita means a mind which is uh, united, a mind which is unified, a mind in which there is unity and peace, as opposed to a mind which is fragmented, which is agitated, Uh, which is not unified. So obviously this is a very important factor, a very important dimension of the contemplative life, of the contemplative understanding. Um, Usually we talk about samadhi as concentration, but there are disadvantages to this translation as we shall see later on. we better to talk about calm abiding um, this way both things which are present in Samadhi are indicated. in Samadhi we have a mind which is focused and a mind which is calm. if we speak only, of concentration, the peace element, the calm element, is not uh, tangible. And that can create uh, some a big misunderstanding. We have a couple of interesting images in the texts of this tradition. One image is the image, <coughs> the uh, smile, of the stone. If we uh, take a stone and lay it down under the water, the stone stays there. Uh, We take away our hand and the stone keeps staying there as long as we want. But if we uh, take a cork and put it under the water, as soon as we take away our hand, the cork pops again and again and again, and I'm sure all of us have a vast experience in terms of the cork <laughs> coming up uh, again and again. Well Let's see these are the two extremes, the uh, the cork and the stone, and uh, I think it would be fair to say that as the practice ripens and as the time goes by, uh, the cork becomes a little heavier, and so it doesn't pop up that quickly, Um, so there is this wide spectrum in between these two extremes. What is very crucial to understand more and more is that samadhi comes together with Paniya, with wisdom. In uh, the discourses of the Buddha, it is said Samadhi and Panya. Later on, uh, Samatha and Vipassana uh, has been used as an expression. See, the literature says these two dimensions are, are like two animals uh, <coughs> under a yoke. yuganabda. They always have to work together. The other night Larry was already hinting at this. So much so that they are actually like two sides of the same coin. True samadhi is true samadhi only to the extent that it is connected with panya, with wisdom. And wisdom is wisdom only to the extent that it is connected with uh, peace, with samadhi. So they really are uh, like two wings, like two aspects of uh, the same thing. This thing is a very complex thing, and so in order to explain, to understand, we make this division between Samadhi on the one side and Panya on the other side. Investigation, discernment, uh, understanding, wisdom. Okay, But they are very interconnected Uh, very intertwined. If it is not so, then you don't have Samma Samadhi, right Samadhi, you have Micah Samadhi, wrong Samadhi. Practically, if you don't see, if we don't see that something is changing in our lives, if we don't see that uh, we have more equanimity, more understanding, uh, then our Samadhi is not going into the re- into the right direction, maybe we have some facility in uh, some f- some sort of self hypnosis and we are enjoying that, but this is not the dimension which nourishes uh, the wisdom side. So, on the one hand, our samadhi, our mental peace, should become more infused with wisdom, which means. A kind of peace which is more and more alert and warm, which is very different from a dreamy calmness. A calmness which is infused with understanding is like this, is more and more alert and more and more warm, because it's got some compassion in it, which is wisdom in action. And our understanding, our mind, our thinking, our panya aspect, if it is infused with right samadhi, should become less compulsive, less driven, more equanimous, uh, more spacious, more capable, more and more capable to make choices and to make good choices, to choose the right thing. That so this is an understanding, a thinking, which is infused with calmness, which is made alive with calmness. It is said that otherwise we just pile up opinions about wisdom, but this is not understanding, if we don't have the peace element. So, it is crucial to the contemplative understanding to have the right peace element the right peace factor. And these two factors, uh, in close cooperation, are the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the central uh, basis for our inner work. So wisdom feeds peace, and peace feeds wisdom. The Buddha was very clear and outspoken on this subject. Talking about right samadhi, he says, a mind which is recollected in the right way sees things just as they are. It's not small thing. And it is said that a mind which is uh, concentrated, which is imbued with uh, calm concentration, is a mind which has purity and is a mind that is flexible, that is ready to do the work of liberation, kammaniya, which it literally means workable, flexible. And all this because of the exercise of the use of right samadhi of right calmness, of right calm abiding. So there is an effect of strengthening the mind because of Samadhi, because of mental peace, of inner peace. The tradition says that one very visible element of purification is this, when you are experiencing some samadhi, some calmness, there are so many degrees, you know, but even a small degree of mental peace, then you see that the mind is not disturbed by fears and attachments and, and hostility. It's very balanced. So in that moment, the mind is relatively or very pure. Then when that moment uh, uh, ends, then we are back with with our various preoccupations and and various uh, disturbances of the mind. But as long as the mind is in that state, then the mind has purity. And tasting some of that purity, of that purity, is very important in terms of our motivation. So we see what is possible. We see that there is a state of the mind calmer, happier, which does not depend on outward circumstances, mm-hmm. and we get an increase in motivation from that. This is also a strengthening a strengthening element, a purifying element. Uh, we see that a different direction is possible in our lives. And sometimes, especially if we have a very troubled life in our background, this can be a very strong and important discovery, which can completely turn our life. If we keep reflecting on what it is that uh, make a mind stronger through samadhi, we see easily that the exercise of, of, of calm abiding uh, is as though uh, puts pauses in, in 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 the momentum of our attachments and the worries and and all that more and more we we have pauses we have spaces and this weaken we weaken, this weakens the m- momentum of, of of our worries and and the like so the we, we are less driven we are less compulsive uh, thanks to this, uh, new space, this new peaceful rhythm that we can, through the training, to, through the training, uh, infuse, bring into our minds. So this makes uh, the mind stronger, and the kilesa, the contamination, somehow weaker, because there is this new uh, state of the mind which has uh, uh, a force which goes into the opposite direction, towards more light and more purity. Furthermore, true samadhi means, to some extent, rest, resting for our mind. And that rest that restfulness uh, regenerates somehow our mind. Um, a contemporary Thai master, Thai teacher, uh, many of you are familiar with, I'm sure, Ajahn Mahabua, puts this element very beautifully. Even when there is only a moment of quiet, We will come to see the harm of the thought formations which are constantly disturbing us. Even a moment of quiet gives us this incredible gift of having us see what it is like when there is no quiet and what we consider to be normal. At the same time, we will see the benefits of mental stillness that it is a genuine pleasure. Whether there is a lot of stillness or a little, pleasure arises in proportion to the foundation of stillness, or the strength of the stillness, which in the texts is called samadhi. When concentration is still, the mind experiences cool respite and pleasure. It has its own foundation set firmly and solidly in the heart. It is as if we were under an eave or under the cooling shade of a tree. This comes from tropical countries, of course. (laughs) We are comfortable when it rains. We are comfortable when the sun is out because we don't have to be exposed to the sun and rain. The same holds true with the mind which has a foundation of stillness within. It is not affected by this preoccupation or that, meaning it is freer. By this preoccupation or that which would otherwise disturb and entangle it repeatedly, without respite. And he finally says, the same holds true with resting in concentration and stillness. When we are resting so as to give rise to stillness, that stillness is the strength, I repeat, the strength of mind, which can reinforce discernment, understanding, and make it agile. So, see how interconnected these two dimensions are. How basically they are aspects of the same thing. However, there are misunderstandings about about samadhi, about concentration, and um, some misunderstandings are gross misunderstandings, and uh, other misunderstandings are subtler ones. One very frequent misunderstanding is equating samadhi with concentration the way the word is commonly used. But that is wrong, because concentration, the way we know it in our lives, uh, is not Restful. It tires us out. It's stressing. I remember once, several years ago, I was teaching a retreat back in Italy and uh, it was late at night and I was uh, outside the building. And then, at one, at one moment, this uh, austere-looking judge who was taking part in the retreat uh, came out from the darkness, coming back from somewhere. And um, um, he came up to me and uh, decided to break silence, to confess himself, and he said, you know, I went to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, how come? <laughs> and he said, you know, all this is so stressing. <laughs> and I needed to relax. <laughs> so he went to see some gruesome movie somewhere. <laughs> And obviously, uh, when we sit and, and uh, spend our entire time judging ourselves or being ambitious, then we are tired afterwards. The, 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 the calmness element, the peace element, is the last thing that we've touched during our sitting. So, concentration is really a bad translation because it makes us think uh, of a di- very, very different kind of, of, of mind state. Uh, just one more memory about this. <laughs> <laughs> this was a, th- a therapist, a psychotherapist, who once told me, uh, you know, in my job, I get very concentrated. Each session I don't miss one word. So I get, I, I, get, I get a lot of concentration and plus I do something very useful, something very helpful. Now it seems to me that you meditators do not get much concentration, number one, and basically you are doing something substantially idle. <laughs> <laughs> this was his way of looking at concentration. And <laughs> Another kind of misunderstanding is it's subtler. And it seems to me that even correct, correct information is not enough to go over it. And the misunderstanding is that we, maybe inadvertently, equate the practice with our degree of uh, calm abiding, with our degree of samadhi. We equate the practice with our samadhi, technically uh, uh, considered. And so we evaluate our practice from that standpoint, from how much concentration we get. And that is our idea of our meditation. Many things could be said about this, but let's look at it in a very practical way. When we sit And when we keep sitting and keep sitting and keep sitting, we get training in a number of other areas, in addition to pure concentration, in addition to pure samadhi. If we keep sitting, we get a lot of training in equanimity because we have to let go all the time in order to be able to come back to the breath. We have to let go of our thoughts and images again and again and again. And this is superb training in letting go, in equanimity. But if we keep being concentrated on our concentration, we don't see this extremely crucial area, how much it gets cultivated through the practice. Because we are stuck with that concept, uh, meditation equals uh, degree of concentration. And we don't see something more important which is taking place. If we sit and we keep sitting, uh, we cultivate faith, otherwise we will just stop sitting. This is another important uh, virtue or factor, sadda, faith. Again, if we sit and we keep sitting, we cultivate virya, energy. It's like there is a positive momentum, and we, we feed that, we nourish that. But again, if we are obsessed with the level of concentration, we miss what's happening in that area. So it's not little thing, it's not small thing. Equanimity, faith, energy, and let alone the prime minister, as the text called mindfulness, which is always very active, supervising what we're doing. How do we know whether we are concentrated or not? It takes sati, it takes mindfulness to tell us. How do we do investigation rather than daydreaming? It takes sati, mindfulness, to be in the present moment and, and look at something instead of drifting away. So this is a lot and we, at each sitting, We cultivate these factors, and other factors as well. But if we are stuck in a certain concept or model of concentration, we miss all this, and we can get discouraged for the wrong reasons. What I said is that usually right information is not enough. In other words, we become convinced that meditation implies a much broader broader spectrum than concentration. We become convinced once we can, once we start seeing in our life these factors at work, once we start tasting more equanimity and more faith and more energy, then we start having a healthy suspicion. Well, maybe the practice is working, despite my concentration, which is really bad. See, I think, on a practical level, again, we have to understand that each of us has a potential for samadhi. <coughs> it varies according to people, but each of us has some potential for it. Because This is very different from saying, I am not cut out for samadhi. This is not for me of us have some potential. And it is a waste of time comparing our potential to what we think is other people's potential. Let's assume that our potential is that small, is a little glass, a little vessel, just that small. Okay, now our work is to fill up this little glass. Is not looking at the big glasses or at the huge glasses that we think uh, are uh, uh, around us, or um, thinking of the model, the ideal model, which should be, you know, this enormous container. The work is filling up our glass, and you know, happiness, more happiness, much more happiness comes exactly through fulfilling our potential. Once we've fulfilled our potential, we don't care much about other glasses. This is very important. And I have a hunch that sometimes a deep yearning that we feel is a healthy yearning, is a yearning to fulfill our potential. And maybe we interpret it in the wrong way. We think that it's a yearning to have this world and another world, but sometimes it's not so. It's just wanting something very healthy, wanting to fulfill our potential. And of course, during this basic inner work, doing while doing this inner work, we have we, we, we run into difficulties. Our voice telling us discouraging statements is a typical difficulty on the path. See, in the, uh, the fairy tales are often myths uh, to indicate self-development, and often in the fairy tales you have uh, someone, a hero, who's walking on a path and then bad encounters, like uh, dragons, to to stop him or her from pursuing the the journey. Challenges. Now, in developing our potential, our degree of samadhi, we have bad encounters, and our voice telling us all those devaluing things is one of you know, the bad encounters on the path. But it's, it's part of the path. It's a challenge to become stronger, to become more open and more whole. It's, it's, it's uh, something to, to train us. It's part of the journey. It's not unfortunate. It's not outside the journey. It's within the journey. So it's good that we understand this, because like this, we honor the dragons, we honor the voice, we honor the challenge, developing equanimity, developing, you know, capacity, inner capacity, inner spaciousness. We wouldn't without the challenges. We wouldn't without that damn voice inside, which turns, (laughs) turns out to be very helpful if we take it in the right way. It's giving us training all the time. But if we think it is unfortunate and we we give up, then we miss a very important thing. In a sense, that voice, that little dragon, is more important than the level of concentration that we reach. Because it's making us grow, and grow again, and grow a a little bit more. In the, in the in the christian tradition i think st francis of Sal from Sal, who says spiritual people are in bad need of one virtue uh, you know over more than other virtues and this virtue is patience number 1 and number 2 they need patience especially with themselves <coughs> so that the." the, the the path, and the challenges, and the, the breathing, the cultivation of the patience, of the strength. You know, this has to do with samadhi. But we, we shouldn't look at it in a very mechanistic way, like sort of measuring how much did I get today? Huh? <laughs> Uh, today, thirty-five. Yesterday was thirty-two. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work like that. It, uh, it's, much, you know, it's It's subtler. It's more complex. We often we beh- we we, we um, It's as though we knew. That so we say, I've been doing this practice for so many years, and therefore I should be at this point. How do we know? Who told us? (laughs) You know, it's as though we we, we treat meditation as it was a language, Uh, as we were studying a language, as we we were learning a language. Of course, if we've been studying uh, German for five years, and after five years we can only say (laughs) Dankeschön, and and we think we are not doing too well, we are right. (laughs) But this is another language. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy and linear as as learning uh, uh, of a language is. So without knowing it, we are being arrogant with ourselves, presumptuous. I should be here, I should be there. It's important and interesting what the, this tradition has to say about what helps the cultivation of samadhi. And two things are mentioned morality, sila, and generosity, dana. The cultivation of sila and dana, generosity, tends to increase if it's done in the right way our happiness and our happiness uh, facilitates samadhi and samadhi in turn <coughs> facilitate sila and dana in an organic way in a natural way you know the happiness of a correct behavior, of behavior which does not harm ourselves and does not harm other people. Not out of self-righteousness, not out of moralism, but because we've seen through the calmness which comes from samadhi, that it's obviously much better than lack of morality. So it is a manifestation of wisdom, actually. Morality, generosity, samadhi, wisdom—they're you know, all linked so so closely together. Like generosity, when it makes us happier, we understand how it's so important and why it helps uh, the relaxation of mind. Samadhi—you know—true generosity is relaxing. True morality is relaxing. If we are committed to someone, we don't have to worry about all the interesting women or all the interesting men that are around, so one less worry. <laughs> 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 it's relaxing <laughs> <laughs> and therefore facilitates Samaj <laughs> and vice versa. Ajahn Chah has a beautiful way of uh, talking about inner peace. He calls inner peace our real home. But just, just hearing it once is soothing. Our real home, a profound value, which is worth our best effort. And this is not, (coughs) this doesn't mean that we are free of problems because of having seen or half-seen that inner peace is our real home. Actually, what easily happens is that this realization, for a certain amount of time, brings a lot of non-peace in our lives. It's called samvega in this tradition we've seen something so important and so our discontent our dissatisfaction about what in our life hinders that does not go does not doesn't go in this in, in that direction can increase dramatically we because of this background of peace, we see our fears and attachments much more clearly. We cannot ignore them anymore, and we, 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 we feel the, the burden, the weight, and so we can experience a, a deep form of dissatisfaction, a deep form of discontent. <laughs> but Sam Vega is interesting because this discontent has some trust in it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a paradox for the ego, because it's a, it's a trustful discontent. It's a, 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 a serene discouragement, so to speak, because there is no, no depression in it. Uh, I think other tradition will talk about um, spiritual sadness or sadness in God, or something like that, because we, we, we suffer. But we have trust that uh, those things which are toxic, which are destructive, uh, will be dealt with in time and got rid of. But at at the same time, we are just facing them, and, and, and we suffer. So, a taste of samadhi, a taste of inner peace brings more understanding, more contemplative understanding in our lives, and change in our lives. We can summarize maybe the change with an expression like this dropping and caring. So we tend to drop what is not good, what is not kusala, what is not wholesome because we've seen its toxic character, and we simplify our lives, but at the same time we care for what is left. We care for what we do not intend to drop, because it's wholesome. For instance, we, we, we drop being in company with uh, people who are being uh, Destructive or toxic, or you know, we see that there is no way for us to help them and for them to help us. And we are m- with more energy with other people, with, with people, um, with friends. We are more totally, what more completely, uh, with sangha. Same with with uh, activities. Maybe we had activities which were just uh, because of greed. And we drop those activities. And now we take better, better care of those activities which are left. And taking better care means being more into the present moment, be means being more alive, more together, more unified. See, simplicity, simple in Latin, means made of one thing. And again, there is a deep, deep yearning towards oneness, towards unity in all of us. So when it starts happening in our life, it's a great peace, a great relief, a cool respite, as Ajahn Mahabhava would say. And we don't forget it. Thank you, let's sit for a few seconds.